You must be at least 18 years of age to listen to the following podcast. I am Robert Black, and you are listening to Sexual Heroes. My guest, Brian Dawson, was a 1978 Playgirl centerfold who became a popular porn dom for Zeus Studios. Widely considered a BDSM authority, Brian has presented to community groups nationwide. He possesses the unique ability to convey nuances to those in both active and passive roles, helping them to understand that they share a single energy source, but draw from it in different ways. Brian's 30-plus years of experience in the BDSM community has earned him numerous honors, including International Mr. Drummer, the Los Angeles Leather Coalition's Mentor of the Year, and the Leatherman's Heart Award. Hi, sir. Thank you for being on Sexual Heroes today. Morning, Robert. Pleasure to be here with you. Appreciate it. There's a number of things I want to talk about today, obviously, and I kind of want to start well, start chronologically. And in 1978, uh, you did a centerfold for Playgirl? That is correct. I, I believe I was the first person ever with a beard to be a centerfold. Wow. I'm dying to know. How did that happen? In the, in the San Fernando Valley, there is or was a gym called Vince's Gym off of Santa Monica Boulevard. And um, it was just a nasty, grody old, you know, hardcore gym. I used to work down the street, so I would go there to do my workouts to let traffic die down before I go home. The guy that did the camel ad, now this goes back to 1978. Harry Guy used to work out there, and he wasn't too, uh, Vince wasn't too careful about shirts. And in fact, I don't think he was too careful about jocks, because I can remember this guy doing sit-ups with his cock hanging out of his short shorts. So, yeah, it was kind of an interesting place. But mm. anyway, uh, that's where one of these guys contacted me. He said, I think I can get you into Playgirl. You want to do a photo shoot? And I said, mm, sure, why not? You know, I'm pretty naive, so sure. Hmm. He had a friend that had a house up in the Hollywood Hills. And so we went up there and... Um, did it around the pool and some inside the house, and he sent them off to Playgirl, and they accepted it. Unfortunately, they did not accept him as the photographer. He lost out on the gig, but um, I got it. And so they had a female photographer that they wanted to shoot. I guess they would have more of a female eye for what women would want. It made it through, and I was I was a centerfold in Playgirl. Wow. Nowadays, especially here in Palm Springs seems like everybody is on the internet naked. If I'm looking through a stream on Twitter or now New Tumble, I'll very often come across guys that I've seen at the gym or the grocery store around here. So it's just very common. But back then, that was kind of a big deal to put yourself out there buck naked. Did you have concerns about family and friends? And I, I should have. I just, I just, you know, balls forward, let's do it. I, I shot it, you know, hindsight, I probably shouldn't have, because uh, I was married at the time. And and I did not tell my wife. Oh. No, I did not tell my wife. It was accepted, the photo shoot was done, the magazine was going to hit the newsstand. 
And I said, dear, I have to tell you something. <laughs> and I thought, this is either going to go one way or the other. And she goes, geez, I wish you had told me that. And I went, yeah, but if I told you, you wouldn't have let me do it. So I said, this way, when I'm 73 years old and doing a podcast, I did it. I can talk about that. It came out. It was the talk of the neighborhoods. You know, cocktail parties, everybody was commenting on the size of Brian's dick. And they did it in a nice way, but that's what they were talking about. But the most amazing thing is my mother-in-law lived two streets away. And I thought, oh, my God, she's going to blow her top and disown me. And she thought it was the coolest thing ever and used to carry that magazine around in her purse <laughs> and showed all her friends. She goes, look at my son did. My son-in-law did. So wow. it was, I, I was really, really lucky, Robert, that it went so well. It could have been a disaster, but it went really well. Well, it sounds like that might have influenced some decisions down the road for you as well. I, I think it did. You know, we, we grew up in a very permissive household. You know, my wife and I did not hide our body parts from our kids. And we went buck naked hiking for the weekends. It didn't throw me to expose my body. Year, years and years, years later, when I did the Zeus videos, it's like, yeah, I've done this. I don't care. It's no big deal. I wasn't, I wasn't, didn't feel awkward or embarrassed. Okay. So you were married and then obviously at some point you were not married. Correct. Are you bisexual or did you come to decide that you are not heterosexual, uh, bisexual, homosexual? It, it was a slow progress. It just, it eased on through. You know, obviously I had two children and we had good sex and I did not cheat on her. But when I finally realized that I, I really did need to be with a man, I had moved to California. She was still in Texas. And I came out to her and I said, I got to love with you. Here's the deal. And she was very good about it. She said, you want to stay, want me to come out there with the kids or do you want us to stay here in Texas? And I said, no, I really like it if you would come out to California we sold the house in Texas. I bought her a condo here, co-parented the kids, you know, little by little, would play more and more with men than with women. At this point in my life, I'm pretty much exclusive, exclusively with men. But, you know, as early as a year or two ago, there were still a couple of women that I would play with. But I, I really don't consider myself bisexual. It's just, uh, I guess I'm gay with a proclivity towards occasional women, I guess. I don't know. Hmm. Okay, in 1989, you were Mr. Drummer. Right. That was before or after you did a Zeus video? The, the chronology of this was, um, I moved to California. I had lived in Texas. So in Texas, we would go country western dancing. That's just what you did. When I moved to California, I discovered that there was a, a bar in Long Beach, Floyd's in Long Beach, country western. Pretty soon I discovered that, started going there for line dance lessons and Sunday beer bus, and I was a good dancer. I met a man, David. David introduced me to Leather and said, well, let's go up to L.A. So he took me up to the one way and his leather vest that he gave me eventually. And then Floyd's decided they were going to have a Mr. Floyd's Leather contest. And he said, you should, you should enter this. I went, Okay. So I entered it in a turquoise Speedo, and I had jeans, boots, and a, and a vest. 
but I did not have you know any other accoutrement. Yeah, so I won with that, and I went to IML in, in 1988. By that time, I had acquired a leather jock strap and the other leathers that I needed. There was a guy in, um, he was in Long Beach at the time, his name was Wayne, Wayne's Leather Rack. And he said, if you will let me be your sponsor, I will provide you with all of your leather. And I went, okay, wow. So in 1988, I went to IML and I was second runner up behind Michael Perea. That was pretty cool. I mean, there were what, 70 guys, but I'm not terribly political and IML was more political. Along the way, I had been introduced to a guy named Bob in L.A. who became my slave. He introduced me to Ray Spannon and Guy Baldwin, who were together at the time. They were having a pool party. Uh, At the pool party were Michael Bales and his life partner, Scott Answer. Scott and I hit it off really well, and uh, we started playing in the pool. Michael noticed that there was a definite sexual tension between the two of us, And so he said, are you interested in doing a video? That's kind of how the video thing started. And then Michael Bale said, you probably would be a great drummer contestant because this is really your thing. You're not political. You're more a, you know, get her done kind of guy. And um, I went, that's true. So he suggested that I run for drummer. I won drummer in 89. Hmm. So that's kind of how that that all happened. So Michael Bale's Daddy Zeus asked you to be in a Zeus video. You've told us about how you came to be a leather man, but at what point did you discover BDSM? And because the Zeus video, in the Zeus video, you were in a scene, I take it. Yeah. What experience did you have at that point as a BDSM player? Very little. I had, I had fantasized about it, but I had not actualized much of it at, at that point. It was an opportunity, actually, for me to kind of live out a fantasy on tape. Wow. So did Daddy Zeus kind of guide you, sort of mentor you through the scene? He, very much so. Mm. You know, if you, if you knew Daddy Zeus, he was a control freak, and you were, <laughs> a, you were a paid model. And he had an outline, and you followed it. And you didn't question him, and you did what he said to do, and you were paid as a model, and you were done. He, he did discover that I had, again, some expertise, because between race and guy, they were mentoring me. So I was becoming much more proficient at you know, flogging and bondage and you know, temporary piercing and blah, 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 blah. It was kind of all happening simultaneously. I was being you know, mentored by these guys, these men. And I was actually getting to actualize my fantasy. And then I was getting to do it on tape through the guidance of of Daddy Zeus. Hmm. Well, you know, I was a Zeus model as well. Right. And my experience of Daddy Zeus, it was all about what I wanted to do, making sure that I was comfortable in what was happening. It felt like it was very much tailored to what I was interested in as a BDSM submissive. The the other thing that's coming to mind is you got this mentorship from race and guy and daddy Zeus. I'm guessing all of it was as a dominant. No, I, 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 I was submitted to anything I've ever learned. 
you know, in, in any talk I've ever given, I said that I think the best doms were submit were subs at some point. Ah. Because, you know, how else do you know what it feels like to mm-hmm. beat somebody if you haven't been beaten? How do you know when enough is enough? How do you know what sticking a needle in some guy's nipple feels like if you haven't had it done to you? So I stand by that pretty much. Guy single tailed me, you know, race flogged me. I, I knew what it felt like. And, and I think that's made me a better dom as the years have gone by. Well, that totally answers an upcoming question I had. Okay. Well, let's let's go back just a second because sure. I, I'm, I, I probably did Daddy Zeus a disservice. He knew where my expertise did lie. When we did a video, he said, okay, here's the scenario. Here's what we're going to be doing. And he said, I'd like you to flog this guy or tie this guy up. Or he would tell me what he thought he would like, but he knew also where my expertise was. So we were in sync. It's just that you are now going to go over here and you're going to tie a guy to this chain link fence and then you're going to do this. So we were in sync. He never made me do anything I didn't want to do. Got it. I just want to clear that up. Yep. Oh, how many Zeus videos did you do? I did, I think, one or so a year for about nine years. Wow. They, I didn't do a lot of them, but I was kind of his go-to top because a lot of his models could top for the filming of the video, but that really wasn't where their heart is. Mm-hmm. And he knew I really enjoyed doing what I did to men. And I guess that came through when he shot the video. So I, I wasn't faking it. You know, mm-hmm. when I when I was working these guys over, I was doing it because I really love doing it. But I also I mean I was I was a licensed architect and a partnership at the time. I had my my life pretty full. So it wasn't like I was a regular model and needed my next video to pay the rent. It was just, it was just for shits and grins. I mean, Mm -hmm. I I feel very, very fortunate that he picked me. I never regretted any of it, but it really was, it was just an ego trip. I really, you want me to do this again? Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that was pretty cool. Mm -hmm. So, so I, I love doing it. And, but you know, I did about one a year, but I did it for almost 10 years. It was real BDSM scenes. It wasn't, it wasn't staged like in some other companies who didn't really specialize in leather BDSM videos. And you're, you're exactly right. And I, are you familiar with the story about USSM3 and what happened to Michael? No. We filmed it up in Tony DeBlas' house. I think it was up in Palo Alto because he owned Drummer at the time. We all went up there for the weekend and we filmed USSM3. And I guess he did... This was the third one. And they were more intense videos. And so we filmed it in their dungeon. There were two other guys. And there was lots of yelling and screaming. And it wasn't put on. It was for real. But when that video came out, uh, and I don't know exactly how it happened, police showed up at his house. And he had to go to court and hire a lawyer because they thought that that these scenes were real. Oh, and that we had, you know, we, I, cause he told me, he said, be careful. Cause your life would be getting a phone call real soon. Hmm. That it was so realistic. They thought that it was non-consensual and that I was really beating these guys up. So you're correct in that Michael always went for authenticity and he preferred to work with guys that could get into it and could enjoy it. Not just because they were, you know, attractive men. Right. Well, this is a perfect lead-in to my next topic. In 1998, or about then, you came to Fort Lauderdale. And 
for some reason you were asked to do a scene at the Ramrod Bar. You were there with your then partner. I believe his name was Jeff. Mm -hmm. Jeff, correct. I was asked, I guess they needed somebody to be a bottom in this whatever scene it was going to be. And somehow I got asked and they put us together. We talked the night before. I guess we were connected because somehow through Scott Answer, who was okay. living in Fort Lauderdale and was also, of course, a Zeus model. Right. We, we talked about what we were going to do. And what we came up with was we decided to do something that would be more organic or appear to be more organic, not something that was, you know, had a, here's the beginning of the demo and here's the end of the demo, but right. something that would occur organically in the bar and people would think that it was something evolving on the spur of the moment. So we planned that you and I would sit at the bar and I was dressed in some nerdy clothes, not leather. And you were sitting at the bar a few stools away. This The scene was we were going to role play and you were going to start harassing me because of what I was wearing. And from there, it turned into a barroom brawl. And at one point, you had me pinned on top of the pool table. This is all etched in my memory. <laughs> this, this was a life-changing scene for me. Uh -huh. um, and one of the things that I had planned as a bottom that I did not tell you in advance of the scene was, I, I wanted to come up with something that would be a surprise for you and make it appear more real and help you feel more real in the scene. And that was, I was going to spit in your face. Mm -hmm. Is this coming back to you at all? Yes. Yeah. No, it okay. is. So you had me pinned on the pool table and I remember spitting up into your face. And of course the crowd is watching how this has evolved and they think it's real. Mm -hmm. And you were talking about the police being contacted about the the Zeus video. And if I remember correctly, somebody either had not called the police or was dialing the police and somebody had to let them know that this was, you know, staged. Right. And then eventually you had me on the cross. And um, I believe that was the night I broke the cross. <laughs> and I learned how uh, strong I can get in the middle of a scene. <laughs> Those kinds of scenes, and even though you tell the bartender or the manager of the bar or something, like, this is all staged and, you know, just be cool about it. But if somebody in the audience, you know, in the bar gets carried away enough, they feel it's their duty to try and save your ass. But, you know, what you came up with in spitting at me was, like, perfect because nothing would enrage me more <laughs> than that. Yeah. Nothing. I mean... You, you want to set me off, do something like that. <laughs> and for me, it was, I mentioned life-changing. I think it was then I discovered how much I loved doing public demonstrations like that. People ask me about that, too. You know, I, I guess I have a, a controllable ego, but like you, it's a rush. It's It's a rush to be able to be out there and, you know, because I'm sure you, as I, over the years... You get asked to do stuff. It never goes quite the way you thought it was going to go, but that's also what makes it edgy and exciting because mm -hmm. you don't know. You just don't know. It's fun. And as a bottom in the scene, it mm, 
there's kind of a pressure to really do your best. Of course, as a submissive, you, you know, you always want to do your best, but, but there's extra pressure when it's a public demo. Right. You know, I've told you guys when I play with them, if you just let go and trust me 90 times out of a hundred, it's going to go where it needs to go. Mm -hmm. Just be present in the moment. But as soon as you start trying to get ahead of where we're going, that's where your chance for, for the scene not to be as successful. You know, don't try and control things. Just live it out. Just go with it. And your response will be 100% authentic. And the people will understand that. They'll pick up on that. If I can tell a quick little sidebar here. Sure. I was in, I think it was Dallas. It was, you know, a leather fest something. I was there with a, a boy and he and I had played in, you know, in the dungeons back then, or the play parties were in sort of separate rooms. And so that was a flogging room. So he and I had done a scene. We were sort of leaning against a column and doing aftercare and kind of, you know, just hugging and holding on to each other. And there was a, a daddy and his boy that had taken over the St. Andrew's Cross. They were doing a, a very heavy, intense flogging scene. The guy I was with and I both burst into tears. I mean, we were, you know, maybe 15 feet away, but that's how powerful this stuff can be mm -hmm. because we, we were feeding off their energy. Whatever was going on with them was going on with us enough that we both started tearing up. It was, it was that powerful. So that's what's so cool about this. Yeah. Well, you just reminded me of something <laughs> that night that we did that demo, Yeah. a guy that I was dating at the time who thought he was into the BDSM scene, uh, watched us, and he walked out that night, and I never saw him again. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it was, he couldn't handle it. He saw the intensity, and he he had never seen me. Fly, yeah, the euphoria. Exactly. So I don't know if he was intimidated. I'll never know exactly what was going on in his mind, because we, we actually never spoke again. <laughs> <laughs> Well, maybe I did you a favor. I think you did, yes. <laughs> and today, this is why I have to call you sir. I just, I have to. And I, I appreciate that very much, so thank you. <laughs> in advance of the podcast, I'd ask you to send me some information. And one of the things in your bio reads that you help doms and subs, I'm kind of paraphrasing that, to understand that they share a single energy source, but draw from it in different ways. That sounds very mystical. Can, can you talk about that? Yeah, and thank you for bringing that up because it's, that's one of my pet things is that you see people get into a scene, they each have their own agenda, and that's when the scene goes wrong. You know, I've spoken quite a few times over the years, so I, I, I like using visual props. My prop for this was a hula hoop, and I divided the hula hoop in half with an elastic band. And I said, here's what I want you to see. This circle represents all of the energy in the scene. It's not over here or there. It's all inside this circle. And I've divided this circle in half. And on half, I want you to understand that it's the dominant. On the other half that's been divided in half is the sub. So daddy, boy, slave master, however you want to, you know, but a, a dominant sub. Mm -hmm. But you'll notice that what I divided in half with is a piece of elastic. And I watch what happens. And I move the elastic one side or the other. 
and I see you see what's happening? If the dominance on this side and the elastic goes towards the sub, that means that the energy is greater on the top side. But I could take that elastic and I can move it the other way. And all of a sudden, the energy inside the circle or the scene is primarily the subs. But the energy never comes outside the circle. That's what I think is so important for people to understand. And it's like, I'm a lowly sub. Okay, well, you can be a lowly sub, and I'm going to be this incredibly dominant top. But that's because we choose that. That's what we want. But it doesn't mean that you are less or more than me or I'm less or more than you. We are sharing a single energy at the same moment. And if we do this right, that elastic band will ebb and flow. It'll fly back and forth mm. during the scene. Because I'm going to beat on you, and you're going to retreat. And then you're going to respond. Your energy is going to change. And as that energy changes, it will affect me. And then I'll go, oh, based on that energy, this should happen. They are, they're very organic. They're not planned. You know, you hate it when you play with somebody and you go, well, first I want you to tie me up. And then mm. I want you to play with my mm. nipples. And then I want you to edge <laughs> me. Then we're not going to play because that's not how that works. Now, you tell me what you like, what you don't like, and what I absolutely can't do to you. And then it will just happen. Mm -hmm. And if we do it right, that energy will stay inside that circle and it'll ebb and flow and we'll have a great time. I mean, you can't see it, but will that make sense? Oh, it totally. I can totally picture that. It makes okay. perfect sense. Okay. Yeah. So that's where that statement came from. Got it. That's a great uh, analogy. Do you prefer to play with someone experienced or a newbie? Or does it not matter? Honestly, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, because of COVID, I don't play with anybody but my boyfriend. But back in the day, you know, I would play with guys that are incredibly experienced. And we'd have this really great, intense scene. But I would have guys that were, you know, 26 come to me because they're new and they felt safe. They were either recommended through someone or some reason they felt safe. I get this tremendous sense of satisfaction when I send him out the door and this kid is just buzzing, mm -hmm. the endorphins are flying. So I, I actually warn them. I said, look, go to Carl's Jr. <laughs> and, you know, ha have a Coke because you're not good to drive right now. You are so high on endorphins. You don't realize it, but you are. And I said, and this is going to tell you a lot about where you should go in the future. Maybe not with me, but maybe with somebody else that you trust. But you discover something, and I get to share that. I help them experience and discover that. And that is in, in, in almost the same way as as satisfying as playing with a, a very experienced sub that you can go to very deep, dark places together. Mm. You mentioned your boyfriend. Yes. I want to talk about relationships for a minute. I want to share an experience of my own and to kind of lead into this. So back in 19... 96, 97, I had my first BDSM relationship. It was with two men who were dominant to me. And I played with them for about six months. And I had, I longed to be part of their relationship, to be a permanent sub for them. It didn't work out. And that's okay. One of the doms said to me at the, at the end of the relationship was, he told me that I wasn't a submissive that I enjoyed bottoming in scenes and being on the receiving end, but he felt that I was not 
a real submissive. And that has kind of haunted me for, you know, for the next 20 years till today, it's, it's always in the back of my mind. And I think as a result of all that, I've, I've moved to feeling like I could never have a primary relationship that was based in a power exchange that has always since then, that has always been something outside a primary relationship. It's just a, you know, go and do a scene or play or, or have a, you know, a sir, maybe outside the relationship, but not, not a 24 seven thing. Now that I've talked about me for a while, uh, (laughs) how has BDSM played out in your relationships since you have gotten into that scene? Okay. I'm going to come, I'll come back to that, but I want to, I want to make a comment. I don't think you're being fair to yourself because you're relying on one man or two men to set your path. It's somebody's opinion. And I, I don't think that you're being fair to yourself. If that's something that, and you know, in those deep, dark, lonely hours, what you long for. And if you long for that, don't let one or two men tell you what you can and can't do. Anyway, so that's, that's, that's Dr. Dawson here giving you my opinion. But, uh, and I mean that in the most sincere way, because I think that if you're wired that way, you're wired that way. You can push it to the back and you can have a more or less vanilla relationship, but it's never going to be as successful. And you will need to find the Dom Daddy on the side to take care of that other, even if it's 10%. Um, there's a, a party game you can play. You take a piece of paper and it's cut with like your fingers. Uh, you're cutting on that uh, piece of paper. You write uh, tabs of, you know, I'm into this and this and this and this and this. So you write your fetishes on there. Mm-hmm. And then other people write their fetishes. And so you go around the room and you start holding the paper up next to somebody else to see. It's like, oh, wow, we match on, you know. For, and it's it just, again, it's a visual thing. It makes it real easy. So you don't have to talk. It's like speed dating. It's like, oh, you're into flogging and so am I. You know, you're into fisting and so am I. It immediately shows you where your common ground is. And I think that we waste a lot of time because we're not honest with ourselves. In those dark, lonely hours, you go, God, I really, really want to be collared. I, I, I really want to, you know, wear a PA. I really want to get fisted, whatever that is. Life's too short. If, if it's consensual between two adults or three or however many in, in your leather family, fuck it. Do it. I mean, it, it, I don't, I don't want to go, you know, breathe my last breath and go, cut. if only I had. I think that, you know, we, we cut ourselves short. Having said all of that, every single relationship that I've had, I mean, my very first relationship, I, you know, I walked into the scene and I had a collared slave. You know, that's where it started for me. Thanks to my mentors, like, that's what I want. I was married and we didn't even do missionary style, right? What I would dream about would be tying up men and hurting them. That was my fantasy. So when I started dating men, it's like, I can't afford, I I came out at, when I come out at 39, 40, I I can't waste any more time. I got to get to it. And I think that's part of the reason that I went from wearing a turquoise Speedo to being Mr. Drummer in like two and a half years. 
I was on the you know, the fast track. I, I needed to make up for lost time. I knew in my heart of hearts where I wanted to be and what I wanted out of life. And I had told myself no for too many years. I mean, my very first relationship, you know, was with a slave. And that required more or less that I had to be a master. And I kind of discovered that was too tedious. You know, I really don't care when you take a ship. You don't have to call me and ask. So I'm like, okay, so that's not quite the fit that I needed. After that, I met another guy. And it's like, okay, that comes closer. And then I met Jeff. And Jeff kind of filled the definition of a boy. We were comfortable as daddy boy. And so that, that worked pretty well. Ever since then, the relationships that I have had have been more or less based around that kind of a dynamic. But what I believe is that you can have them on a rheostat. If you feel like you want to fix dinner for your boy, then fix him dinner. It doesn't matter what it says in the book, like the, the boy always serves the master. It's like If you feel like, like it, go for it. And sexually, you know, I just want you to play with my butt tonight. Because I feel like it. I made that decision, right? We all have prostates, and a little prostate massage probably feels pretty good to everyone. So you tell your boy, okay, tonight, here's the deal, right? You're going to please me that way. And people get all hung up on, I'm the dom, you're the sub. I can't do any of those things. You know, come to the relationship that I'm in now. It's equal, but it's not. And it's on a real staff. You know, he'll be in there making coffee, and I come up and start spanking him. Mm. It just, it's on a rheostat. It just depends on how we feel. We're, we're both very much into nipple play. The, you know, mine are so hardwired. It's, you know, I, I, most guys' nipples have discovered that. They're hardwired. But we both enjoy that. You don't have to ask permission. Come up and start tugging on mine. If I don't like it, I'll tell you. I'd be stupid to stop you because I love it. But I think people get too hung up on it. All you have to do is, you know, and I get yes, sir, from him. If I don't like the answer, then I go, excuse me? Sorry, sir. It doesn't have to be for me. I'm, this is Brian's personal relationship. That doesn't mean that masters and slaves can't be incredibly happy and in love, and it's right for them. It's really whatever's right for you. I couldn't have a vanilla relationship. I started dating a guy. We were introduced to a mutual friend. He moved out here, and he lived just down the street from me. And it was a BDSM-based relationship. And what we discovered as time went on was he was playing at it. It was real for me, but he was playing at it. And it was not that satisfying. I finally said, look, this, we can be friends or not friends, but we can't, we can't be lovers because this isn't real for you. You know, this is intense and powerful and real for me. And for you, you, you put on the cop outfit on Friday night and we kind of role play. And there's nothing wrong with that. So, you know, please, I, I don't mean to tell anybody this is wrong and that's right. All I'm saying is what's right for me. Mm -hmm. He and I became friends. That was years ago. We still call every once in a while. He still stops by when he's driving through. So we've remained friends. And, and so that's good. But it, it didn't work for me in the long run because it wasn't real. He wasn't really, really wired that way. And if you're wired that way, you know it. And again, there's nothing wrong with putting on a cop uniform on Saturday night and you know, tying your partner up and putting handcuffs on him. There's nothing wrong with that. So I'm certainly not here to give anyone 
you know, what's right and what's wrong. It's what's right or wrong for you. And that's all that matters for you. And when we start overlaying our opinions, our lifestyle, our rights and wrongs on anybody else, that's when we all get into trouble. So I'm a big proponent of live your life your way. So it works for you. As long as, you know, women, children, and small dogs are not hurt, then who cares? <laughs> that was a long-winded. I'm sorry. But thank you, Robert, for letting me kind of go off there. No, that was great. What are you most proud of? Well, it's my kids. Mm. And there's so many gay men that were married and came out. But if you don't have children, again, I have to be careful how I say this. But, no, the thing I am most proud of are my children. That's the thing that brought me... You know, more than Jeff, more than any relationship, the fact that I, I had two incredible children that they got through all this. They they love me in spite of the fact that dad is a is a gay, kinky, twisted <laughs> guy. And they know about all of it. They know where the dungeon is. They don't go there, but they know where it is. They know all about my life. I've never hidden anything from them. And it's not in spite of, but I guess in spite of, they still love me and we still all get together and, you know, share time as a family. Quite honestly, that's what I'm most proud of. Well, they are very lucky to have you as a father. I can tell you that. Thank you. What's on your bucket list? Uh, well, we had our second vaccination shot two days ago. We both felt like shit yesterday mm. with chills and fever. Mm -hmm. uh, feel pretty good today. So I'm, that's on my bucket list is that the dungeon's been shut down for a year. There's a couple guys I'd like to get back in there and work them over. <laughs> yeah, there's a, what did I just say? Rain check. There's a list of guys with rain mm. checks. So. Yeah, it's, I'd, I'd love to get back in there. Again, not to take away from my boyfriend because he's, he'll do anything I say and he's wonderful and we have a great time together. But it's just fun. BDSM is fun. And if it's not fun, you're doing it wrong. You shouldn't be doing it. Safe, sane, sexual, and fun. And and I miss that. I miss, you know, having a guy come to the back door and knock on the door and, you know, strip outside, get on his knees and crawl into the dungeon. And it, it's fun. I mean, that's, 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 you know, a wonderful part of life. It's just a part, but it's a wonderful part of life. And so, yeah, that's on my bucket list. I want to get back to that. Sir, thank you very much for being on Sexual Heroes today. I just want you to know it's meant so much to me, and I'm just so honored that you gave up your time to do this interview. I've had an amazing, incredible, glorious life. And I, you know, it's from people like you and Daddy Zeus and all the people that I've met over all of them, it's been, what, 30 some odd years. I mean, I can't imagine what my life would be like had all of that not happened because I feel so enriched because of it. I, you know, I am so much more than I ever would have been because of all those people that I met through life. So thank you for taking the, the time to you know, interview me. I, I, I am honored by that. For information with links about a guest appearing on Sexual Heroes, visit the show notes at sexualheroes.com or on your favorite podcast app. And while you're there, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can follow and message me on Twitter at Robert Black XXX and on Facebook at Real Robert Black. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.